My name is Anthony Fatsis and welcome to the What The Finance podcast, where we interview finance, trading, investing experts to help you understand current market trends and learn about the intricacies of new and existing assets. Hello and welcome What The Finance is to another episode of the What The Finance podcast, where we talk to experts to help gain a greater understanding about what is happening in the world of finance, investing and markets. On today's podcast, I'm happy to welcome Joseph Hoke. CFA, who's the founder of Let's Talk Money. So Joseph, thanks for joining the podcast today. Anthony, uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I know you're you're on vacation, so it's it's great to see you still working a little bit, uh, even even while you're having fun. Yeah, people might notice, notice I'm a little bit more tanned. I'm not as pale as I usually am, so I've been enjoying the sun over here. But uh, yeah, Joseph, so I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about uh, you know yourself and I guess your background and how you've gotten to where you are today. Sure, sure. Well, I, I come from an equity analyst background, so uh, you know, after service in the Marine Corps and going to college, then then I uh, started with venture capital, uh, private wealth management, that kind of thing, and just immediately found fall, fell in love with the idea of making your money work for you. You know, uh, being able to put your money away, uh, grow it over time, and, and that kind of thing. The the thing that was missing, of course, was being able to talk with the people that I knew, right? Uh, so uh, working in venture capital, private wealth management, and equity analysis, you're usually only dealing with the accredited investors or that top 1%. Uh, so in 2014, I knew I wanted to change that. I wanted to, to get back to, to Main Street investors and my roots. So I started the blogs, uh, to started the, the YouTube channel in 2017, and, and I just loved it, right? That face-to-face connection you get with video and and being able to reach uh, reach out there on YouTube. And uh, and yeah, you know, I just love being able to take that that professional experience uh, of the markets on Wall Street and, and bring that to, to Main Street investors talking about investing and, and how to make your money grow. Yeah, I think I was listening to your last stream today, and you actually said that you have that bug. You just love you know analyzing companies, investing, and doing that stuff. So, yeah. do you really just want to share that with other people? Sure. Yeah, that's that's the big part of it, and. You know, it's it's weird. I actually just came off the live stream where I talked about this, where uh, for the vast majority of the people, the, the easiest, best investing strategy out there is just index and index funds, maybe uh, maybe 10 or 15 stocks you really like, you want to hold forever. But for those of us that, that just love picking stocks and love following the market, uh, it's it's a bit of a, you know, it's, it's a bit of a trap, right? Because if you don't have a part of your portfolio that you can do that with, then you're just going to screw up the rest of your portfolio, right? If you don't have... 10 or 20% of your money or your portfolio in stocks that you can you can buy and sell and you can pick and you can really follow the market and scratch that itch, then you're going to find yourself going into those long-term stocks, into those long-term funds that you want to hold, and you're just going to screw them up. You're going to buy them and sell them, and you're going you're gonna to mess up that market return that you should be getting. Um, so yeah, so one thing that I, that I always love to, to talk about is is how do you do that? How do you balance those market returns from the most, the biggest part of your portfolio, but still keep some keep some money aside to to pick stocks and, and to have fun with it. Yeah, and that's one thing that I, I think we all have to learn it, don't we? We start maybe trying to trade our whole portfolio, and I'm like, hang on, this might, might not be the best idea. Let's try and take a step Absolutely. back and do a small percentage. Is that sort of the lessons that you learned through your career? Oh, and through my own personal experience too. And it's, it's funny, it's as much, you know, I've got more than 10 years of experience uh, as a professional equity analyst and venture capital in that. Uh, but some of the, the best lessons that I can share and that I've learned are just as a personal, as a personal investor, you know, my own investing experience uh, started investing in 1999, which of course was a great year to start investing because uh, we all know what happened the year after that. Uh, 
So I think I can relate to a lot of people that have just started over the last couple of years. I've seen their portfolios just destroyed in the stock market crash uh, because I experienced that when I was starting investing as well. So, you know, the things like, you know, not only chasing those meme stocks and the growth stocks, but having some other some other investments in other companies and other other themes and other trends as well. Uh, things like, you know, dollar cost averaging, but the uh, the risks of dollar cost averaging as well. You know, not having 20 or 30 or 40% of your money in one single stock because, you know, if that stock like BlackBerry, like, uh, you know, Research in Motion, uh, like Peabody, you know, if that stock ends up bankrupting, then, uh, then you've lost all your money in that. So really, you know, dollar cost averaging, but doing it smartly. Yeah. And that's vital. And do you see many similarities, I guess, to t- today that uh, as we saw in the dot-com bubble? Because I guess when I'm researching, it sounds familiar, but I guess what's your opinions on that? Sure. Well, I, th- I think, uh, you know, obviously, <clears throat> what did they say? Uh, that, that history never repeats, but it often rhymes, right? And I think uh, you, you find that in, in so many different parts of the market, right? So, you know, whereas the eco- economic backdrop, backdrop uh, is different uh, with, with this stock market crash, the investors are the same. The investors uh, right now are the same as as I saw when I was starting investing in 1999. Right, we we get excited about this new trend, this new theme in the markets. Uh, we bid up those those kinds of stocks, like the the pandemic stocks that we saw, and then you know when the future doesn't look quite as bright as it did uh, for those stocks, then we panic and we sell out of them. Uh, and and it's I think it's one of the best opportunities right now in those growth stocks that we've seen crash so hard, you know, 70, 80% over the last year is that, yeah, now they are, uh, they, they are still growth companies, companies like Teladoc, companies like SoFi Technologies, even PayPal, which is quite a bit older than a lot of those, those other companies. They are still growth companies changing the world in which we live. Uh, but now their valuations are so much more attractive, you know, back a, a year ago or two years ago, uh, the valuations on these things that, that investors were paying uh, you know, per share, per earnings, per sales, were just ridiculous. You could not justify uh, those kinds of stock prices. And uh, but but now that the stocks have come down, then they are still growing companies, but they are also value stocks as well. Yeah, I think um, you know if you look back at two thousand, there were a few famous survivors, I guess, that made it through the dot com bubble and now have thrived and taken oh, over man. the world. I feel like now, you know, there's going to be similar companies, but I feel like there's a lot more companies that actually are actual companies. They're not just try to make something they do have that earnings sure. they do have that revenue they do have that growth so there's probably a lot more opportunity to take advantage of it sure i think we have learned something from the dot-com bubble right yeah, uh, those companies that were just wildly unprofitable and weren't going to be profitable for for a very long time you know you still have some companies like that that are unprofitable but are growth companies and you know i, I mean the the refrain on wall street and on youtube and on cnbc is always oh you got to buy quality right uh, that's always the the disclaimer they use you could buy quality stocks that are profitable but i don't think you can really you, you can't really just write off outright these stocks that that you know are growing 20 and 30% sales growth but are still unprofitable you know on a per share basis because uh, if you look at amazon one of the best examples of after the dot com bubble of amazon um, you know, IPO 97, uh, reached about $100 a share in 99, and then fell down to $6 a share. So 95% loss uh, on, on it, you know, from the peak there uh, through 2002, and was still unprofitable, right? It was an unprofitable company. But we know what what has happened to that company since. Uh, you know, it's uh, just last year before the split or before the split, it was upwards of $3,500, which would have turned a $1,000 investment in 2002, just, just 20 years into half a million dollars, right? So 500 times your investment. Uh, so you can't outright write off these, these unprofitable companies just because they're not quality, right? Like people think. 
you really have to look deeper into the company, you know, find those companies that, that you really do believe are uh, are going to change the world in which we live. And, you know, take a chance on, on a couple. That doesn't mean invest your entire portfolio in growth stocks or, or in these, but but just buy, you know, two or three. Uh, like I said, a thousand dollars in Amazon in 2002 would be half a million dollars alone right now. Uh, so you, you get a couple of these growth stocks that that are changing the world. And and I think it's it's smart to take a chance on them. Yeah, I'm sure even Warren Buffett wouldn't say no to, <laughs> to those type of returns. Uh, so I guess, you know, the most talked about word at the moment that, you know, I've heard of, and I'm sure everyone's heard of is, the, is recession. It looks like there's probably the potential for a recession. The White House have almost, you know, they've changed the, not the official definition, but I guess the definition that people had used previously. Uh, so what's your opinion on this? Do you think that we could see a recession in the next few quarters? And then if that were the case, how do you think that would affect the markets? Sure. Well, we we are. I think you know we are already in a recession. If you talk to anyone on the street, they they can tell you uh, prices have risen so much faster than wages. Uh, rents are going up. Everything you know, we are we are in an economic backdrop or downdraft downdraft. Um, the only problem is you know the NBER, which is the National Bureau of Economic Research. They're the ones that officially call a recession, um, but they don't use that two quarters in a row of a falling falling economy, which we actually did do in the second quarter. We had two quarters of a falling economic growth. They don't use that, so you know they have a little bit of leeway. And and of course they never they they're never going to call a recession just before the elections, right? So. Maybe a little bit of, bit of politics involved, but uh, we are in a recession. Uh, and if we look at uh, Deloitte data, has Deloitte data goes goes back to 1948 with the recessions, uh, and it shows that the average between 10 to 20 percent drop in corporate earnings during a recession. Right. Well, the problem here is if you look at stock market expectations, what analysts on Wall Street think earnings are going to be like for stocks in the S and P 500 over the next year, they actually have penciled in still sales or earnings growth, right? They expect uh, this year to do about $227 per share on earnings for companies in the S&P 500. Next year, it's about $245. Um, That has come down from expectations of $250 uh, for next year's earnings uh, over the past couple of months, but obviously not nearly enough, right? It has not come down to the point where we're seeing, okay, yeah, we are in a recession. That recession is just now starting and corporate earnings are falling. Um, they need to fall quite a bit further. And, you know, obviously uh, any three to six or even a year period, stocks are controlled by investor sentiment, you know, what investors feel about the market and how much they're willing to pay. But over that longer term, it's all earnings because that is what you own as an investor. That is what you own with that share of stock. You own a share of those earnings. So as those earnings go, your share prices need to go go along with it. And uh, and again, you know, as those earnings need to come down further to better reflect that recession, those share prices need to come down as well. Yeah, which it looks like we, we will be seeing potentially in the next few months. So yeah. I, I guess, how have you positioned your own portfolio to prepare for that? Because I guess, as you mentioned, probably a lot of people who were in growth have lost quite a lot of money in the past year or so. And I guess mm-hmm. there's potential that they could lose more if it just an overall stock market. So what have you done for your own portfolio? Sure. Well, in this kind of environment where we do have those bear market rallies and uh, and is really unknown and uncertain around the stock market, I really do like the kind of a barbell strategy. Okay, um, 
you know, again, for long-term investors, you can buy anytime. You can continue to buy uh, buy stocks every month and just not worry about it. That is a great strategy and a great strategy for a lot of people. Uh, for, for someone that gets maybe a little bit more uh, risk-averse, a little bit more uh, hesitant or, or scared, panics out of the market, then this barbell strategy is a great one for, for this kind of a market, right? And what this is, is you've got, if you think about a barbell with the weights heavy on each side and then kind of just nothing connecting them on the, in the middle, then... On one side, you've got like a lot of growth stocks, right? A lot of growthy stuff, uh, higher risk investments that are going to do really well in these bear market rallies when the stock market does jump up, uh, you know, 10 or 15 percent. And uh, and those are going to do well. Those are going to lift up your portfolio. Now, on the other side, though, you have more cash bonds, uh, you know, maybe some like I bond savings bonds uh, that are paying 9.6 percent right now. Great investment. But you have very safe investments that are going to protect your money and protect that part of your portfolio just in case stocks do fall and you can buy in at those lower prices, right? So it's a very, you know, very uh, two, two-sided uh, portfolio. And what this does is it protects you from, you know, I know a lot of, a lot of investors got scared out of the market, sold their stocks, and, and now they're seeing, you know, as we record this in, uh, you know, August, uh, stocks just had their best month in 19 months, best month since November 2020, up 9% last month alone, right? And so what happens is a lot of investors, they get scared out of the market, sell their stocks, uh, and then they see it go up. They see it go up, you know, 10%, 15%. And uh, they think, well, shit, okay, this is the next bull market. I got to buy stocks. I got to buy, buy my stocks back. So they buy in after 15% up. And if it does prove to be a bear market rally, they have just missed out on that 15%, bought stocks at those highs, and now they see the stocks fall again. Okay, so, you know, completely frustrating. Um, they're going to start losing even more money and they're just going to give up on the markets, right? So what this does is it keeps you partially invested in the market uh, with those growth stocks. Those growth stocks do better uh, when the market rallies. In fact, uh, you know, some of those like PayPal, um, SoFi Technologies up 25, 28% over the last month, uh, you know, so, so outperforming the market. Uh, but it still gives you some money set aside just in case the market does fall, fall further. So great strategy, that barbell strategy to really take advantage of, of either scenario. Yeah, and I think that's uh, probably what a lot of professionals have been doing as well, trying to de-risk a little bit, but still, you know, because you never know when it, when it will bounce. Sure. Um, but I guess what are the indicators that you're watching? Because uh, you know, at the moment, there's quite a lot of negative news coming out about the economy, about what's happening in markets. So, sure. what would you be watching? You know, if something changed, what would that be for you to change your portfolio? Maybe go a bit more into risky assets. Sure. Well, well, really why the market is rallying right now is is on that idea of a Fed pivot. Okay. So the Fed has been very aggressive at raising interest rates to slow down the economy, slow down inflation. And the, the market is just betting that, okay, that's over. Now the Fed is going to slow down. It's going to take a wait and see approach to, to let the market or let the economy cool down. Uh, and that's good for stocks. If the Fed slows down its interest rate hikes and slows down that, you know, trying to trying to cool the economy. Well, now we have to see the actual that actually happening, right? So we've got a jobs report coming up here in the United States on on Friday. Uh, expected to report two hundred fifty thousand jobs created in the last month. That would be down from almost four hundred thousand the month before. So if the the jobs market does get start getting a little bit weaker, you know, then that's obviously going to cool down the economy. That's going to slow down inflation because you know if people fewer people have jobs, fewer jobs are being created. That kind of thing. Uh, the the inflation report. So monthly jobs reports one thing. The inflation report that we get right on the around the twelfth of every month. That consumer price index, the CPI report, that topped out at nine point six percent last month. Uh, now that probably will will start to decrease just because gas prices and energy prices and some food prices have come down so much over just the last month. Uh, the problem is 
And I think you know that's going to be a kind of a short-term boost uh, for sentiment for the market because that will come down this month. But it's going to be very, very much more persistent, I think, than people really expect. Uh, inflation is going to be much more higher, much higher, because you know the jobs market is still very strong. We still see very strong increases in rent, uh, rent prices, and that's going to that's going to hold up inflation for for much longer than I think people expect. Uh, so I do expect. You know the market to kind of come to that, come to that realization that inflation is going to be uh, more sticky, more persistent than than they expect, and that's going to weigh on stocks. But I would start, you know, if that starts to come down to you know closer to to seven six percent uh, and stay there, or, or maybe come down a little bit further, that's what I would look at as a real confirmation that the Fed has been successful in bringing down inflation, and uh, you know, and stocks and can, stocks can move higher eventually after that. But uh, you know, until we get down to even even as far as five or six percent uh, inflation on that CPI number, then uh, I think the market is still going to be worried that inflation isn't beaten, and the Fed is going to have to continue to to raise rates to beat it. That'd be really interesting to see where if we get to maybe five or six percent consistently, and say mm-hmm. interest rates are at two and a half three percent, whether the Fed will continue to push up, or they're hoping that it. Comes down. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they're expected to go up as high as uh, three and a quarter, three and a half percent already uh, through the end of the year. I mean, even with even with a slower approach, they they've done two two rate hikes of uh, seventy five basis points or point seven five percent, and they've been really good at, at kind of uh, previewing that, at forecasting that, saying they're going to be aggressive at first, then they're going to slow down, uh, and the market's really kind of waiting for that slowdown now. But they're still over the next two meetings, they're still expected to raise rates by about half a percent, uh, which is kind of the market disconnect right here, right? Uh, so the market is ahead of itself. It's saying, okay, we're gonna we're going to get that slowdown in rates, uh, so we're a little bit more optimistic on the future. But the problem is, you know, we're moving from almost zero to three and a half percent interest rates uh, on the Fed funds rate in one single year. You know, it, uh, mortgages, long-term mortgages, had doubled. Uh, you know, since the beginning of the year, we are just starting to see the effects on the real economy from these interest rate increases. The you know, the weakening jobs market, the the weakening housing market, things like that. And, and I think so. I think the uh, that's really the kind of the next shoe to drop, where the market realizes that you know, yeah, the Fed might be slowing down its interest rate increases. But uh, interest rates are still going up, and the the economy is still slowing, and perhaps maybe going to slow faster than uh, than we expect it to. Yeah, I guess once we see something break and break badly, yeah. that's where we could see Fed having to pivot. But then the challenge is if inflate. Yeah, that's only if inflation has to decelerate. Yeah. Yeah. So very interesting time to be an investor at the moment. Uh, and, I, and I guess, you know, as you mentioned, you've sort of been investing in some very volatile times and we've seen volatility over the last year in many different assets. So what advice do you have for people who, you know, do struggle with that volatility, just do get very fearful about the potential of losing lots of money and they might not make the right decisions? What opinions, sure. uh, what sure. advice do you have for them? You know the best advice would would be just don't look at it. Okay, you know just just invest regularly. Use that use that long term buy and hold approach where, where you've just got you know maybe one index fund, maybe three to five ETFs, right? That give you a very broad market return, right? You're not even you don't even have to invest in individual stocks. Just put your money in those broad funds uh, that are going to give you that market return. Set it up so you have an automatic deposit into your investing account every month uh, that goes, you know, even automatically into those stocks, and uh, and just do that. Just buy every month. If you look at any stock chart over the last hundred years, uh, or the market itself, it goes up. You know, it uh, we we always get through these 
these little recessions, these little bear market crashes. And, uh, and stocks are still the best investment you can make on a long-term basis, right? So just understand that. Uh, if you if you get panicked and if you get fearful about the markets and about these short term drops, these even one or two year drops, then then yeah, just set up everything automatically and uh, and just don't worry about it. Do what you do best. Make money how you make money, and uh, and use that to invest. It's so easy just to keep your uh, sort of brokerage account open on your phone and just continue to look at the, the money oh, yeah. going down. So you just yeah. like close it, maybe delete the app. <laughs> so you can't because it, it is addictive, you know. Yep, it is addictive, and and it looks like you're losing money. It looks like uh, you know you're going to miss those retirement goals, those financial goals. Uh, so so it can be it can be dangerous. It can be a very dangerous point, but but it can also be very a lot of opportunity. You know. Uh, the best returns are made in a bear market. You know these these prices we're seeing right now. That is a a twenty percent discount to where we were at the beginning of the year, right? So this is a great time to invest, uh, even though it may be painful to look at your stocks and look at your portfolio and see that it's down twenty or thirty percent or, or whatever it is. Uh, it can still be a great opportunity if you have that longer term picture. Yeah, and I guess uh, everyone complains about oh prices too high. You know, I'll wait until there's a drop, and it's just about taking advantage of. The drops when they occur. Sure. Yeah. So you mentioned at the start of the interview that you, you know you've learned a lot of mistakes and uh, from, from a lot of mistakes that you've made in investing. I think we all have. Uh, I guess what are the greatest lessons that you've learned from your own mistakes that you can tell others? Sure. Uh, well, one I think to to have that portion of your portfolio that is just invested in uh, that core portion that you know those ETFs, the index funds, and, and maybe you know that ten or fifteen stocks that you're going to hold forever, no matter what. You you love these companies. You think they've got great futures, and you're just going to hold those and not to touch that. You know, uh, just just invest every month. Uh, use a little bit of portion of your cash each month to to buy more of those stocks and that part of your portfolio, and just let that grow. You know, because again, that is the simplest, most stress-free investing you can ever do. And and if you do have another portion of your portfolio that you can play with, have fun with, and and follow the markets with, then that saves you from from really touching and messing up this other portion. Uh, you know, best way to invest if you do have that need to to pick stocks and and try to try to beat the market. Right. Uh, if you don't have that need, then just have that that entire portion of your portfolio as that that index investing and that long-term investing. That's that's the best thing to do. But if you do have that need, then just do it do it with a very small portion of your portfolio, 10, 15% at the most. Yeah, and that's you know for very important. So I guess you know you mentioned at the start that there's going to be some amazing growth companies that come through. They're already amazing them over and they have some great numbers. So when you analyze a company, what are the the major drivers that you're looking at? Sure. Well, I'm looking at uh, some some easy stuff is like uh, you know sales growth, sales growth uh, and operating margin. And what I'm looking at for here is okay. So how much are they growing their sales? How much you know how much are they turning into operating profits from those? Uh, but not necessarily just for that that absolute level, but compared to their peers, right? And you've always got to compare a company with its peers in its industry with other competitors because you know investing or. Uh, uh, Comparing maybe a technology company against a bank just is not going to tell you anything because it's two completely different growth rates, completely different business models, things like that. So you always have to compare a company against its competitors. Well, what you're looking for here is that company in the industry. So you know that that growth stock or, or that uh, so that software company within the software companies within its industry um, that is making higher sales growth. You know why are they able to grow sales at? 20 or 25% when the rest of the industry is only averaging maybe 15%. Okay. Why are they able to, to make those, those faster sales? 
And a lot of times that can point to some kind of a competitive advantage, you know, whether they have product innovations or they're able to deliver the product better, something like that, you know, can point to some of those intangible qualitative factors. Uh, operating margin, which is just the operating income divided by those sales, uh, gives you that real core profitability of a company. And not only does it mean, you know, they're converting more sales into earnings, uh, but also gives you that idea of qualitative, uh, you know, a qualitative company, right? The, the company with the best management that can turn those sales into more earnings and, and can be more profitable. Uh, so that's really where I start with a lot of things. You can look deeper into a company and, and look for uh, you know stocks in industries that are growing. One of the best things you can do is look for those big universal forces, those big trends, you know, five, 10, 20 year trends that are really pushing all the companies in that industry and really start with that, right? Because even if you don't pick the very best stock in that industry, uh, since it, the industry itself is growing so fast, then it's going to kind of a rising tide lifts all boats, right? It's going to bring all the stocks in that industry up and, uh, and you're going to do, do bad, do, you're going to do well, no matter what stock you buy in that industry. Um, so yeah, you start with that top big picture, Pick the industry with a, with a really good growth, uh, and then pick the best best companies within that industry. Yeah, no, it's just a three step approach to, yeah. to doing that. And uh, what are some red flags? I guess if you've seen a company, you know, you might see something in company and like, hang on, this doesn't look good. I'm actually going to steer away from it. Sure. Uh, well, debt is obviously always a, a big one. Uh, a lot of companies, especially older co- companies, a lot of the dividend payers, a lot of the value stocks, uh, those out there that have maybe sl- slower sales growth. Right, uh, they will try to grow the company by acquiring others. Right, we saw this. This is the best example is probably with AT and T over the past decade. Um, you know, a, a leader in telecom, but then obviously, you know, telecom isn't a growth industry, so they started seeing sales growth uh, slow down, and they thought, hey. We'll get into uh, satellite TV, right? With Direct TV, we'll get into uh, internet content and, and media with AOL, Time Warner, and they paid tens of billions of dollars for these companies. And, and of course, the acquisition never comes out as as well as they thought it would. It never produces the kind of earnings they thought it would. So uh, they are now saddled with you know forty, fifty. $50 billion worth of debt on these acquisitions. And the interest expense is just too much. They just have don't have the financial flexibility uh, to, to reinvest in the company. And, uh, and the share price has lagged for the better part of 10 years for, for, time, for AT&T, right? Uh, it has just started to kind of come to a realization that that wasn't, that wasn't a good business strategy. So they sold off those other companies and, and are now focusing on telecom once again. But, but yeah, that stock has, has gone nowhere for, for uh, very many years. Um, so that's one thing I would look at is that kind of debt uh, debt stra- or that acquisition strategy that a lot of companies use and just blow up the balance sheet with debt. So debt to equity, uh, something like that. Uh, another one would be, you know, kind of specific to maybe dividends. You look at the payout ratio and and see that a company isn't paying out, you know, is, is paying out less as a percentage of its earnings relative to to other stocks, you know, relative to other industry players. Uh, you know, that means it's made pull it, or saving more behind to uh, to reinvest in the company and grow the company and potentially grow those dividends. So that's always uh, that's always another good one to to watch. Uh, not necessarily a red flag. A red flag would be, you know, if it was. Uh, conversely, paying out way too much of its earnings. So if it had a payout ratio very high, uh, that would be maybe an, a sign of an unsustainable dividend uh, dividend yield. Yeah, there's normally a reason that they have to pay those dividends <laughs> for people that own the actual stock. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. And have you had an experience in the past where you've invested in the company and that sort of bit bit you in the backside or something like that? 
Sure. Well, uh, I think, you know, GE, General Electric, is another good example of, of what can go wrong with a company. I, and it's so frustrating because this was a leader, a bellwether of the markets, a great stock for so long. And the management has just has just mocked it all up, right? Uh, and, and you really did start to see it with kind of that payout ratio where where the dividends started to be so much a part of the earnings that, that they couldn't reinvest in uh, you know a lot of their the, a lot of their their projects that they needed to, so that was kind of a warning sign that uh, the dividend would be eventually cut and the stock price wasn't going to go anywhere. Yeah, and I think they were the biggest company at one point before the recession, and then yeah. that's that recession, and now they're just they've lagged so far, and they have to split up now. I think. Yep. It's playing, yeah, crazy to think. So, Joseph, thank you so much for your time. You know, we've covered so many topics about recession, your own experiences, and everything like that. So, I guess my last question is: What is one message you'd like viewers to take away from our interview? Sure. Uh, well, yeah, don't uh, don't complicate investing if you don't if you don't need to. Uh, if if you if you don't have that itch to to satisfy, then then yeah, it's, it's there's nothing wrong with just index investing, uh, investing in you know ten or fifteen of those long term growth stocks, uh, investing in those every single month and and not worrying about it. Uh, if you do have that itch, if you do love uh, uh, picking stocks and and uh, you know following the markets like like we do, then then uh, just have a portion of your portfolio set aside to where you can do that and then have the rest of your money getting those market returns uh, to meet your goals. Yeah, I think that's so important for, for people to do. So Joseph, thanks again for your time. And I guess, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about Let's Talk Money and I guess what's your what you do there and what, what you're trying to achieve? Sure. Well, a lot of it's just just what we've been talking about here. Uh, just talking about stocks, talking about where the market is going, how to make sense of all of this. And uh, and really sharing those different strategies, right? I think that's uh, that's really because you know every investor is different on their own needs, their own risk tolerance, uh, what they what they enjoy doing. So I think uh, finding that strategy that that works best for you. There is no one one single best strategy. So finding that one that works best for you and makes you the most money, I think is uh, is what I really love love sharing and and just sharing my my own personal experiences with with investing. Yeah, awesome. That's great. So I'll pull that in the description below. Is there anywhere else people can find your work or is that the best place? Yeah, uh, got the got the blog, mystockmarketbasics.com. Uh, it's really much more of a kind of a basic uh, basic uh, stock market uh, tips and tricks and advice. Uh, not quite as much stock picking as we do on the channel. Uh, love to see people there or, or really ju- yeah, just join the community on Let's Talk Money. Yeah, awesome. I'll pull that in the description below. But Joseph, thanks again. My pleasure. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe so you're notified when new podcasts are released. I hope you're leaving with some great value about investing, trading, and finance. See you on the next show.